Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Welcome back to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. It is post-Thanksgiving, Gus. We are into December. We have rivalries. We have independent games. And we even have narratives or no narratives. How we doing? Real good. I love that we have narratives or no narratives. There is no narrative here, Gus. (laughs) Love the alliteration. (laughs) <laughs> we have so much to talk about oh my goodness i think we got to start there right away don't we i mean that game was tremendous but really the storyline that surrounded that game is even more intriguing than maybe the you know the crosstown shootout itself right yeah let, well let's just get the operational stuff out of the way folks gus oh, Kern, yeah, yeah. gus kerns here myself mike randall we are two guys that love college basketball we talk about it We've interviewed coaches, thanks to Scott Cross and Texas Arlington coming on on Friday. We interview beat writers. If you're interested in college basketball, this is the place to come. You can find us on Twitter, myself at Randall Rant, Gus at CKerns12. You can find the podcast at SDS Podcast. Please tweet us, direct message us, whatever you want to do. And the podcast is on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's all over the place. Please go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a comment if you enjoy what you hear. We also have our top 25 rankings on Randall Rant as well as all of our podcasts there. So, uh, folks, please enjoy that. And I also put out my short corner every Monday, Gus, which, of course, recaps some of the fun stuff that went on this week. And I think we had a bunch of stuff, but I guess we should start with the Crosstown Shootout. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, I, I think we have now. I- <laughs> And I, I, I mean, the first thing, number one, it's a shame that we always like to lift the curtain here, right? Like, I don't care two stones about college football. I don't. I've never been invested in it. I don't think I ever will be due to like on Saturdays, like every fall of my entire life has been consumed by like what I was doing, competing in or coaching in. Like, so I, I just never found the opportunity to watch college football. So the fact that people were saying like, oh, it's a shame that, you know, the Crosstown shootout is overshadowed by the, you know, the final weekend of college football. I was like, all right, who cares? Like, I'm still going to watch it. I'm, I, I'm not even, I don't even know what college football games are being played. So I was totally keyed in on this. And I think the rest of the college basketball community was too, right? Well, I think the highlight game, Gus, of the last few days certainly was this crosstown shootout. Xavier at Cincinnati this year was at Xavier in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's as intense a rivalry as exists in college basketball. We had Chad Brendel. We had Shannon Russell. Xavier on two great beat writers who talked about it, and this game did not disappoint. Gus, Musketeers used a home court advantage. They were up 21-5 to right away in the Bearcats, which was a killer for the way Cincinnati plays. They never looked back. They shot a blistering 10-21 of from beyond the arc, led by Trayvon Blewett. All-American candidate, I think. Love it. Uh, 28 28 points, five three-pointers. But the unsung hero of this game, Gus, was Karim Cantor, who came alive. The Karim Bay transfer, 6'10", came off the bench, 17 points. Tell us a little bit of what you saw here with Xavier Cincinnati. First thing, I think, let's just go to the two talking points that you talked about right away. Trayvon Blewett playing like an All-American. Both you and I called him to be on the first-team All-American during one of our preseason podcasts, and he is not disappointing, and he is coming up big in big-time games. Biggest game that he's going to have probably all year until we get to March, and he showed up big, absolutely gigantic, five threes, 25-plus points. You know, I talked – it's funny you mentioned Cantor because I talked Cantor a tiny bit saying that, like, you know, it was nice that they had another complimentary big to complement their 
perimeter greatness of Makura and, and Goodin and uh, and Blewett, of course. Uh, and then, you know, we have Gates uh, doing his thing and contributing as well. So it's, we don't want to ignore him either. So there was a ton of good things that Xavier had happening here. And you know what? You're spot on here, Mike. If Cincinnati gets down double digits, they are not really constructed roster-wise or game plan-wise to mount this giant comeback. Yes, they have shot the three really well this past season, including this season as well. But really, their game plan isn't to like play in big bursts. Their game is to like out tough you and out grind you, not necessarily like throw a seventeen to one burst on you. So I think your 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 comment on once Cincinnati got down it was hard for them to dig out of a hole. And I think we're underrating, uh, you know, Xavier defensively here. I think to, uh, Xavier traditionally is an excellent defensive team. Maybe this particular squad is down just maybe like half a smidge from where they usually are. But you know Xavier's going to defend. And they did exactly that to hold on to this lead and hold Cincinnati at bay. Yeah, and there's not many teams, listen, that can come back from being down. Like a West Virginia can. Okay, they're, they're a team that generate points. But Cincinnati's going to live off the fact that they control the game. They're going to make you play a half-court game. And there's some teams like West Virginia who don't want to play a half-court game. But in this type of atmosphere, once they were down 21-5, to this game is over. Because Cincinnati comes down, they want to hit Justin Jennifer for a layup. And then they want to hit a back screen. And that's that's not, that's what they do. Here's a fun stat for you, Gus. Ready? Six foot eight, 225 pound forward Kaiser Gates. You mentioned him. Okay, you ready? Gus, he's 27 to 60 from the field this year. You know what he is from three? He's 23 of 50, which Gus means in eight games, Kaiser Gates, outside of three pointers, is four of 10. <laughs> I mean, Listen. six, eight, and he's four of 10 from the field. I mean, seriously, unbelievable. Talk about your uh, three and D player. <laughs> right, I mean, exactly. Wow, I, I was not aware of those statistics. That's just crazy. That's insane. But obviously, Coach Mack is putting his players in in successful positions, and Gates is the perfect example of that. Obviously. All right, you want to get to it? You you want to get to the pleasantries? I do. I, I, I okay. do. Let's play it right now, folks. In case you happen to miss this on the handshake line. J.P. Makura of Xavier and my Valentine, Mick Cronin, seemed to say something besides good game. Okay, something else was said there. They had to be separated. And then, folks, we're going to play this right now. This is what we're going to have uh, Coach Cronin and Coach Mack back-to-back here, folks. Listen to what they said. Yeah, I've never had a kid tell me to F off three times before. And During the game and after the game. You know who that? it was. Same guy at all is every game. Did you guys Fifteen years I've been a head coach. Okay, five years with hugs, two with Coach Patino. I've never seen anything like it. Will you guys talk afterwards or talk again? There's nothing to talk about. Where I come from, there's nothing to talk about. And if he was playing for me, he wouldn't play. He wouldn't play for me. I know one thing. The narrative is not going to be J.P. McCura and Mick Cronin. It's not going to be the narrative. Because there are two sides to the story. There are two sides to the story. There was a reason that their coach was issued a technical in the game. There's a reason for that. I know that reason because the official told me what happened. So I'm not going to have the narrative be anything other than us playing better than Cincinnati and beating Cincinnati today. Beating. As far as he would never play on my team, I'm going to go back to 2009 and 2010 when I was the head coach, and Lance Stevenson in front of me 
right in front of me, called me the N-word three times and said, F you. After the game, guess what I did? I shook his hand. I shook his hand. That's it. That's it. There is no narrative. There is no narrative. We won. A year ago, we got our ass kicked. Guess what Max said? Got our ass kicked. Shook hands. I'll answer questions about that, about the game. I'm not answering any questions about he said, she said, when there's two sides to the story. Well, Gus, there is no narrative, but I think there is. I, I think the narrative is Mick says a few things that maybe he shouldn't, and JP also does. I, I think that's fair to say. It wasn't you know he wasn't exactly part cheesy, you know? Oh no, I don't. I, I don't think they'll be getting together for any board games anytime soon. JP Mcura and and Coach Cronin. I think you can go both ways with this here. One, of course, you just want to say right off the bat, you're you're a paid coach and be the like better adult in the situation, right? That's what you want to say to Coach Cronin. And also to J.P. Pincura, like, you don't, you just want to say, like, don't be such a punk. Maybe clean it up a little bit. So I think they're both at fault. And you can point the finger in either direction. And guess what? You can wag your finger at both of them when you point that finger in each one, either one of their directions. Worse for Cronin, though. He's the coach. He said worse for Cronin. And it's it, I love him. But you can't say anything, coach. And you especially, Gus, can't get a technical foul with two seconds on the shot clock with about 30 seconds left in the first half. He got that technical with two seconds on the shot clock after I think it was a block by maybe Cumberland. And that's when the floodgates opened because it just killed their momentum. Once the jacket went off for Cronin, I think, you know, it was just like fair game. Like he, he it's almost like he lost his mind and he put his mind in like, you know, where you put your pocket square on your jacket. And he just like, once that came off, it just seemed like, like all the wheels fell off for him. And then things just started going awry. I would be hypocritical if I, if I criticize that guy, cause you know, when I was coaching league at this game, when I was coaching high school basketball, I ripped off my tie at one point yelling at an right. official. And right. then my good friend who was the um, sister school athletic director, the team we were playing, mailed it back in interest school mail the next day. So I, I- <laughs> I got to die. I, I can't do that. But throwing my tie wasn't good either. But to get a laugh out of my friends, of course, that's a matter. That, that, that's hilarious. Yeah. Interschool mail. Yes, he uh, did. Very funny for the AD, old AD at the sister school. Yes, very funny. That is hilarious. Coach Carney needs to be like a little bit better here, right? And it's a teaching. It's a teaching moment for both teams. Teaching moment for Makura, like you know, get your act together. Teaching moment for Cronin and his team, like, look, I lost my mind in this big moment. The next time we run into this big moment, let's act better than I acted, right? I think that's the I think that's the angle that you take it. A couple quick one-liners, then we'll move on. Gus Quentin Gooden, you mentioned it sophomore. In the win against Baylor earlier in the week, he only had six points, but he had nine assists, and more importantly, Gus, no turnovers. And he also played very yep. well in this game. He did have six turnovers, but that's Cincinnati. It's fine. Ten points, eight assists. He needs to play well if Xavier have a chance to really make it far, and he certainly is. And of course, how about Karim Cantor, by the way? On fire. Gooden doesn't need to score a ton here. Correct. That's correct. He has to take good care of the ball, make good decisions. And with, with, it. with Kaiser Gate shooting, I don't know if there's any other shots available. <laughs> exactly. Take, take good care of the ball, put people in good positions, and defend the other point guard. And Cantor, anything that he's going to give you is an absolute bonus. With him and Omira kind of manning the post together, that's formidable. That can work. Like, that could be your required big that you need to make your march, your deep march run. I kind of like where this Xavier team is headed. And again, I think I talked about this on, on the solo podcast last week. Maybe that Arizona game was just an anomaly as far as like the defensive end and and like you know I talk about all the, all the time like sometimes these games like that are near break whether it be Thanksgiving break or or, or Christmas break 
Sometimes these things just have like a weird, funky feel to them, and maybe that was one of those games. That was so funny. That's all podcast is great, by the way. And I'm listening to it in the car, and I'm yelling at you through the car, nervous about Michigan. I, I yell at the car, I go, Purdue's lost two in a row, and this guy has no problem with them. All I'm going to North Carolina, Luke Mays hitting every shot. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for that. I, 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 I knew I'd I get you with that. Yeah, one you after, did. After. I was very good. I was in the car yelling. I'm like, I'm not nervous. Get Moritz Wagner in here. We'll shoot again. Uh, anyway, that's why Moritz Wagner's uh, tweet made uh, <laughs> made the short corner gust of him going between his legs with a little sauce there. That's uh, yeah, yeah. He, he displayed a little uh, a little agility there. I, I was down. I was down, Mo. When did I become this addicted to Michigan? I have no idea. All right, moving on. Number three, Michigan State. Gus, you talked about this game. Let's do it briefly. You were on yeah. when this was going on. Number five, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is really good. This was a buzzsaw at home. Michigan State. And we talked about this, and you mentioned it specifically. That first game against Duke, Winston and Langford did not play well. But since that point, Miles Bridges working himself back in from injury. Winston and Langford have been great. They both went for 17 here. Winston was 5 of 6 from deep. Looks like Michigan State's kind of rounded and formed. What do you think, Gus? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think there's a couple things to pay attention to here. Number one, it's a road game for Notre Dame. I'm not making excuses for them by any means, but no, it, tough spot. If, you're, if, tough if spot. you were going to lead one way, I mean, yeah, of course you're going yeah, to no. State. And I, I, you know, I tried to address this a, a smidge on the podcast. That I, I think it played out like kind of perfectly. Uh, if you look at Colson and Farrell and Gibbs matched up against who they were matched up against against Michigan State, each one of them had a size deficit. And when all three of your best players are going to be at a defensive deficit, I don't think that's a, a recipe for success. Like you got to have a mismatch and then attack that mismatch. I don't think they had it anywhere there with their three best players. Yeah, like you mentioned, if if Langford and Winston are going to play this consistent at the same time together and not, I don't know, like hot potato, like one has one, one has a good game, the other one doesn't, and they flip flop back and forth. If they can play this consistent together, this Michigan State team is really, really dangerous because then you don't have to rely on Miles Bridges going for 22. He can just chip in his 15 and 10 and the spectacular dunk and the deep three, and then he's good. And then you got Jackson doing what he does inside with his rebounding proficiency and his putbacks. And then, you know, you have a whole bunch of great role, role players that know exactly what to do. They know they're not expected to score a ton, but they're going to come in and effort it, and they have specific roles. Like, it makes perfect sense. I think it kind of all starts with those two guards. You know, Gus, I, we'll get to this later. We're going to talk about Gonzaga a little bit, and, and I am all aboard the Gonzaga train. And I'm trying to think to myself, when I, when I think about college basketball, as you do, an excessive amount of the day. Why do I like Gonzaga this year versus, versus last year? And, and I'm going to go to this. Why am I concerned about Notre Dame coming out of this game? Why am I concerned about Seton Hall? Answer me this. Am I overvaluing depth? Like, I look at Notre Dame here. Great comeback. They were down like 22 points. They came back. Colson, 17 points. Farrell had a tough 10 points. Fluger had 15, made three threes. Gibbs. But I look at their bench, Gus. Burns, Gregory, Mooney, Jijago, and DJ Harvey, the freshman, right? right? All zero points. Torres only had two. Does that bother you as much as it bothers me? That's what I'm worried about with Notre Dame, although I think they're very, very good. Obviously, I think they're great. They're one of the top 10 teams in the country. And Seton Hall also. And maybe last year with Gonzaga, I got caught up with Shemek if he gets in Falzer. What, how, where do you put depth in terms of looking at these teams? Am, am, I, am I overvaluing it? No, no, no. You're not overvaluing it. I think it's two separate conversations, though. I think during the long haul and the grind that we're kind of getting into right now and dipping our toe into – yeah, it plays a huge role. Absolutely. However, when we get into conference tournament time and then into March, 
I think you go with your studs and you ride your studs until they're done. Do you want to see something else from Harvey? Do you want to see something else from Kale? Yes, of course. You know, Notre Dame and Seton Hall, respectively. I think during the season, yes, depth does play a role. However, when you when push comes to shove and it's go time and, and the game is the games like count for money and there's championships on the line, you ride your studs. Yeah. So conference season, yeah, absolutely, depth is going to play a role, and that's where a team like or like Duke, they could just bring like all Americans off the bench. Like that's gonna that's going to work out just fine. And a team like Notre Dame might run into a problem because they are invested very deeply in those top three players. And you hope that Harvey gives them a little bit more. You're not overvaluing it. I think you just need to put it in the proper box during the proper time. That's all. And listen, Michigan State has the depth and that's part of the reason why I like him so much because oh, yeah. Miles My- Bridges can go down and be hurt and all of a sudden they're still rolling. Now he's back and and they're really stepping forward and, and doing a nice job. A couple more we got here, Gus. Uh, Miami 86, Minnesota 81. Now frustrating here for those of us that may have bet on this game, not that betting is legal, of course, folks. Of, but of course. Du- a sophomore guard, Dupre McBrayer, was ruled out of this game about an hour and a half before game time because of an infection in his leg. Gus, talk about it because that meant Isaiah Washington got to start and take a lot more shots than maybe Minnesota would have liked him to, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I think I mentioned this a little bit on the podcast too. He just had a little bit too much ownership on that particular game. Um, and I mean, he, t- he tried to take advantage of his opportunity. It didn't go very well. I think he was like six for 17. Yeah, six for 17, exactly right. Oh, for three for right. three, yep. Is he a talented guard? Yeah. Is he a New York City guard? Do we love New York City guards? Oh, yes, we do. Is he going to be? Is he going to have his moments later on in the season? Yeah, sure. But right now, yeah, maybe that wasn't the spot for him. You'd love to see him lean on. Hey, how about you lean on the guy that's playing like an All American? How about you give give Murphy a couple touches, right? How about you give it to your first team All Big Ten, a point guard, uh, Nate Mason, and you let him get a couple touches? How about you go with like your uniquely athletically talented uh, two guard that's like freakishly long coffee and let him get a couple touches. So I think maybe they just needed to disperse ball just a little bit more accurately and maybe that would have solved a couple of problems. But I think this speaks to Miami. Like Miami was pretty solid. That Miami backcourt is going to be dangerous. If they can have some uh, very similar, like we talked about with uh, Xavier, if they can have some inside play to complement that perimeter greatness, Miami's going to be really good. I love Bruce Brown. That was a bad All-American because he's not making an All-American team, but I really like what he does, and I think he's very valuable to that team. You mentioned Jordan Murphy. Can we talk about Jordan Murphy for a second, Gus? I did some stats here, man. Last year, Caleb Swanigan, out of the 35 games, had 28 double-doubles out of the 35 games, right? Angel Delgado, out of the 33 games they played last year, had 27 double-doubles. Yeah, he he had almost as many, right? Yeah, incredible. Two phenomenal seasons by two phenomenal NBA players, right? Gus, Jordan Murphy is nine for nine. And by the way, it's really not even close. I believe he had a double-double. I think it tweeted this out against Miami pretty much yeah. with like four minutes left in the first half. So he's gone. Uh, yeah. He's 18 and 16 and a big win over Rutgers today. 17 and 14 against Miami. 19 and 14, 16 and 11, 20 and, and 10. And by the way, he is a king of stripping the ball away from other bigs who face him up. His high hands, active hands. I, I can't believe I'm talking about this. Jordan Murphy must have had. I, I, I love that you just brought back the high hands, active, active hands. Yeah, the high hands active. We've used that coaching is unbelievable. Gus, if you play him and you square him up, he will strip the ball from you at least twice during the game. I saw it over and over again. These Miami bigs who are big, long guys. He is a talented guy, man. When is this double-double streak going to stop for Jordan Murphy? Listen, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. I think it stops when uh, they get into a blowout game and they take him out. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's when it stops. If we're going to talk, you know, I, I talked a little bit about like, uh, you know, 
Luke May and and his like hello we need to talk about him as first team All American yeah we need oh, the same for thing with sure. Jordan Murphy yeah exact oh, same God. conversation needs to be had the guy's putting up crazy numbers he's had an unbelievable level of improvement he is doing it against like quality opponent after quality opponent. Now, we want to see if this streak continues into Big Ten play. I'm assuming that something similar will continue. Maybe the numbers take a slight dip due to the pace of play in that particular conference. But at the same time, I I, I don't see why it's not going to be in the same neighborhood and at least uh, hold some of the same similarities that he's putting up right now. The guy's playing out of his head. He's playing legitimately at a first-team All-American level. Totally is. And, And Gus, one more game here, and then we'll move on to a different topic. Oh, right. I'm sure you got to talk a little bit about Gonzaga Creighton. I got to watch this game as well. I am all aboard the Gonzaga train. I, I'm starting to think it's because Shemek couldn't jump. I, I maybe, maybe it's really that simple. We're just not in love with his athletic, athleticism. Trust me. I think you know I've, I've not liked him for stupider reasons than that. So <laughs> that's right up there. But no, this Gonzaga team, I'm all aboard. I am so impressed the way they play. They push the ball. Perkins is great. Williams is dominant. Tilly is, is dunking all over people, by the way. Talk about this Gonzaga team. Creighton gave them all they could handle in the beginning Absolutely. of this game, but they did pull ahead. Big one over number 25, Creighton, 91-74. First half, kudos, Creighton. Really, really well done. Coach McDermott knows his stuff, and he game plans to win the game. There is no doubt that his game plan in place was awesome. Mark Few's an incredible coach, too. He made adjustments at halftime that were game-changing adjustments that won the game for Gonzaga. Look, Marcus Foster went off. He had 20-plus. He had an unbelievable game. I mean, we might talk about Kyrie Thomas later. He's had an unbelievable improvement, very similar to the level of improvement that Jordan Murphy has had, that Luke May has had. He has taken a big step up and is now like on NBA uh, draft roster radars. That backcourt is is absolutely top shelf. Here's the difference. The difference was, I think we kind of talked about this on a previous podcast, the the difference was the bigs. The difference was Tilly. The difference was Hachimura. The difference was Jakob Larson. The difference was that they went and concentrated on going to those bigs and those bigs made it. And by the way, Gonzaga was out without their starting three-man and Norvell came in and really lit them up in the second. Absolutely. Very quick. Absolutely. Yep. I have been watching Gonzaga all season, but by far that was the finest game that he's played all season. I mean, he's had a couple of nice games here back to back, but that game, like he kind of popped off the screen a little bit and he, you know, he he reminded me of, uh, of the lefties that Seton Hall has. Like, it just seemed like, you know, he was popping threes. He was taking to the hole, absorbing contact. Like I was really impressed. And, and, you know, we tweeted out how, Put him in line. He just might be the next guy that really benefited from that Gonzaga redshirt year because he's a, a, a redshirt freshman. I would love to have heard what Mark Few said at halftime, Gus, because I felt there was a massive increase in defensive pressure on the ball and outside the key by Gonzaga in that second half. They were getting in the passing lanes. They were disrupting the Blue Jays. One and done. They were out. Tremendous job. Hashimura comes off the bench. There's your depth right there. Uh, Tilly is going to be a force. He stayed out of foul trouble as well. Tilly's going to be tremendous. Tremendous. Tilly's awesome. Tilly's awesome. You know know what Tilly's going to do? He's going to keep kind of having games like this where he's shooting threes, bringing the ball from the perimeter and dunking it on people, blocking shots. Like he was doing everything you want your multi-talented big to do in this game. And you know, I'm going to point something out here too. You brought up the defensive change of game plan. Like obviously they ran those guys off the three-point line. They have the athleticism. Perkins is a a top-level athlete. Uh, Melson is a a great athlete. 
that Norvell is a very good athlete. He said, get these guys off the three-point line. Like Foster was killing them from out there. Yeah. So get run them off the three-point line and let's see what they do inside and let our, our bigs like cover the mistakes. It was a perfect adjustment at halftime. Perfect. Can I just point out one other thing? Sure. Remember that Florida game? Game of, game of, the, game of the year. Yeah, game of so the year. Far, yeah. so, so Florida wins that game. Do you remember who fouled out? Perkins fouled oh, out. Oh, Perkins fouled out. Right. Yes, Perkins fouled yeah. out. Yep. So Perkins fouls out of that game. And then they're playing without him. Game changer. Game changer. Yeah. For the, for the la- you know, let maybe the last minute, the last minute of the game and then the overtimes, yeah. like total game changing. I mean, Melson did take good care of the ball. He ran a great point. Perkins is that important to that team. He is. Absolutely. Perkins doesn't foul out of that game. Maybe that, that game has a different outcome. And, and we're talking about game of the year with Gonzaga coming out on top of game of the year instead of Florida. Yeah. It makes a big difference. Totally agree with you. He, he only five points in this game, Gus, but he does so much, right? He's five yeah, or seven right, from the right. line. He brings the ball up. He had six rebounds, four assists. Basically, Gus, I feel like he's Bruce Brown of this team. That's what he does. And, I, and, he, right. and he's vital. A, l- a little bit. I mean, obviously he's not that freakishly athletic, but like he, yeah, he's he important. does a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. importance can't be understated. Totally agree. So, Gus, we talked about some teams on the rise here. And, you know, as much as I I have, you know, an aversion to the down screen, back screen teams. I I love that you're bringing this up. I I think we got to give Virginia a a little bit of credit along the way here. I I think we have to, you know, throw them some bouquets and, and talk about what they've done. We would be remiss if we did not do this. The Cavalier folks are eight and oh. All right. And they haven't played tremendous talent, but they've been very, very solid. Yes, they beat Rhode Island. They beat Wisconsin and Wisconsin scored 37 total points in that game. What Tony Bennett has done can't be overstated. They're back in the top 25 in a season that all of us thought maybe they're going to take a step back. The half court defense held Wisconsin that game, Gus, 15 of 48, 31% from the field. That's disturbing. And three of 20, Gus, 15% from three point range. You got Kyle Guy with the whole ponytail, 16 points per game. Devin Hall, 11 points. By, by, the, by the way, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to be fashion consultant. You you see that he, he he did cut the man bun, right? Oh, he cut it. Did he cut the man bun? He, he cut it, yeah. Uh, he he said was... he did not want the man bun to be a distraction away for, to take away from his play. I like it. I, li- I thought maybe it was still a little ponytail there, but he's No, doing... no, no. He, he, it looks smooth. It looks good. I like it. Devin Hall, 11.9. Methodical. What's fascinating, Gus, is this Tuesday night, Morgantown, Press Virginia, get your popcorn ready. What do you think about the Virginia Cavaliers? Oh, man, well, number one, kudos to the Ca- the Cavaliers. Uh, they, they lost a couple players to transfer. They lose like one of my favorite players from last year, London Parentes. And you think like, okay, they, they've lost their, you know, their engine and their point guard. Uh, they lose a little bit of talent. And um, we don't want to forget... Uh, the transfer from Memphis, Nichols, that never, ever worked out last year. So they never had the benefit of that either. You were kind of counting on him to come in too. And that, that obviously, that didn't work out last year. So the the minuses definitely outweighed the pluses. You know who's been a really steadying factor for them has been Jerome. I really like yeah, that backcourt yes, yep. of, of Guy and Jerome. I think they, they don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves. They make open threes. They're not afraid to defend on the perimeter. And you know what? You mentioned this in the, I think, your Wisconsin rundown, this team defends from the three-point line yep. all the way to the rim. Have to, yep. I, I, I mean, I don't know how they have that much coverage. I mean, obviously, the pack line is amazing, and, and obviously, it, it works. But the fact that they can run that many three-pointers off and defend the three-point line that well with the three-point, you know, the three-point shot being such a weapon, really impressed with the Cavaliers. And, and by the way, 
that's must watch TV against West Virginia. Must watch. It, it, like, like you have to tune into that if you're a college basketball junkie like Mike and I, because you just want to see Ken Jerome and Guy handle the pressure that West Virginia is going to throw in their face. And then what pace is this game played at? Is it possible that West Virginia can push the pace and play this game in the 70s and 80s where they want it? Or is it going to be slowed down to the 40s and the 50s and it's going to be a muck up like Virginia wants it? You want to see what the – because that's a 40-point variant right there. Gus, are we we going to bed on Tuesday? I mean, we got Gonzaga Villanova over here at Madison Square Garden. I still got to try to find a way to get to that. Then we got, you know, West Virginia, Press Virginia, Virginia. I mean, it's going to be a great Tuesday. Oh, man. And and, and throwing like the old school – throwing the old school Big East uh, showdown with uh, UConn and Syracuse. I'm in. All in, man. Gus, let's move on to our, our player of the week, performance of the week. Got to give kudos to a guy that both of us are a little tough on. Devontae Graham, Gus. They Ooh. Kansas went 2-0. and Holy Toledo. Destroyed Toledo 96-58. Then they beat Syracuse, which, by the way, again, sometimes these games, Gus, are not. You know, they're at independent sites. If one were, uh-huh. to, bet, one were to bet, maybe it would be a piece of information you should use, right? Okay. Anyway, so 76-60, they won. Gus, listen to this. Back-to-back 30 30- Five-point games for Devontae Graham in Kansas. They went 2-0. and He was 24 of 36 from the field. That's 66%. 12 of 21 from three. That's 63%. 35 points, four rebounds, five assists. It will be hard to produce a better weekly performance than Devontae Graham did this week. Kudos to the Jayhawk. I, look, if he's not like Big 12 player of the week, I don't know who is. Like, <laughs> right? Like, the, those numbers are insane. If you're just going to p- break down his numbers uh, on the season thus far— they are unbelievably similar to Frank Mason's last year. He's even putting up better uh, assist numbers. Uh, his turnover, turnovers are still a bit high, and his shooting percentages are not exactly where Frank Mason's were last year due to those first couple of like down games he had. He had like that three for like fourteen game or three for fifteen game, you know, to start the season. Everybody's like, oh, see Deontay Graham. Uh, you know, Deontay Graham's not that good. Uh, he's he's not as good as Frank Mason. You you look at his numbers now. Bring, go ahead and bring them up. They're like staggering. They're legitimately staggering. He's putting up giant numbers across the board. I, I'm really impressed with the guy. I love that it's a possibility that Kansas could have back-to-back player of the years with, with two undersized guards. That's unbelievable. That's great coaching. Can, can I can I buzzkill this a little bit here, my partner? Everyone is jumping on the Devontae Graham bandwagon. And all of a sudden, he went to first-team All-American. Folks, he had 35 against Toledo. Okay, and that's fine. And then he had 35 against Syracuse shooting shots from three feet behind the top of the key. Okay, so before that, it was 10, 11, 8, 17, and 14. I'm happy for Devontae Graham. I think he did a great job. I think he's a very solid player. Let's pump the brakes, America. I got tweets all over the yin-yang here from everybody telling me he's first-team All-American. He had two great we- He had two great games. Fantastic. Toledo and Syracuse. Why don't you drop that in Morgantown, then we'll talk. Okay, DG? Um, look, look, I'm with you on this. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm just trying, to, I'm I'm trying to play the positive. Yeah, here. I know. Went off. Let's celebrate him going off. Is he one of the best guards in America? Uh, maybe. Right. He possibly could be. I'd like to see a larger sample size, exactly. of course. Thank you. Thank you. But at the same time, yeah, let's celebrate that back-to-back. Let's celebrate that 70 points in two games. That's sick. Uh, quick <laughs> that's, sh- that's amazing. Quick shout-out here, Gus. Shot of the week. Let's go with senior guard Lexus Williams of Boise State. That half-court heave, it was oh. it was 70-70. Bang from half-court on the road. 73-70 win over Oregon. Troy Brown did not play in that game. Huge help to this. Ended the Ducks' 46-game home winning streak. Gus, you like Boise State, and they look pretty good so far. Yeah, they're going to be okay. And by the way, uh, another shout-out for Boise State. Hutch, Hutchinson had the first triple-double 
in Boise State ah, very nice. history. Very nice. So the dude puts up numbers. Again, he, he is going to be in running for conference player of the year. And I think if you're going to talk All-American teams, he might be a guy to consider for that third team, maybe that second team if Boise keeps playing the way that they're playing. And you know what? I'm looking forward to Boise maybe playing that Nevada team that we love so much. That's going to be a good showdown in the Mountain West. I'm looking forward to that as well. We don't want to sleep on these smaller conferences. It'd be awesome if the Mountain West was no longer a one-bid te- one bid league, and they can get a couple of teams in from that league. Maybe Boise and Nevada might do that this year. Yeah, Boise State 8-1, Gus. That game you're talking about will be at Nevada on January 20th, and then they come to Boise on February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. I'll Happy be ba- Valentine's Day. I'm going to be watching that later on that evening, I'm sure. If Mick, if Mick allows me to watch it, I'll watch it with him. Okay. Well, you know, clear, clear that up with him, please. <laughs> Gus, next team I want to talk about, we'll, we'll put this under Masters of Intrigue, Okay. I am intrigued, Gus. By the way, that's that's my fa- that's that, that's my favorite thing that you've said so, thus far. Besides, like there is no narrative. Masters of intrigue. This I mean, is great. I, I don't know. It's going to be a debate for the uh, podcast title after this. I guess I, no, uh, number twenty-three, Gus. The TCU Horn Frogs. I am intrigued by the TCU Horn Frogs. This is a team that people are not talking about because when you talk about the Big Twelve, you of course are going to mention Kansas. You're going to mention some of the bigger teams, you know, West Virginia. People have talked about things like that. But I think they have to start giving credit here to TCU because what Jamie Dixon is doing down there, and this is his alma mater, let's not forget about this, cannot be understated. They are 8-0, Gus. And after winning the Emerald Coast Championship, they beat Belmont and Yale. I understand, not the second coming of Duke, Michigan State. Look, that, that's still a great non-conference. That's nothing to sneeze at. It's a great non-conference, and I think we could see TCU get a lot of support after this week. Big week, Gus. They host SMU on Monday night. SMU huge with a huge game. win over USC. Huge win yes. over USC. Tremendous yes. win on Sunday night. On Saturday night, rather. And then they travel all the way out to the Staples Center to play your aforementioned Nevada Wolfpack in the Hall oh, of Fame Classic. Uh, guy who I want to mention here is sophomore guard Desmond Bain. 13.6 points per game. He's shooting Gus 63% from three-point range. He's 15 of 24. And even better overall for a guard. This is incredible. He is 72% from the field. Wanted to mention him because, of course, you talk about Brodzianski, who's been tremendous. Uh, Kendrick Williams, also 12.4 points per game, 10 rebounds. People need to mention TCU, Gus, because they're coming and they're undefeated. They, they have absolutely capitalized on this NIT championship run that they had last year and have not slowed down at all. This is exactly the type of progression that you'd like to see from a program and a team like TCU that's been down in the dumps for pretty much as long as we can remember um, since they've come over to the Big 12, right? They have been the doormat. They have been... You know, you're hoping that they finish in the top half. You're hoping that they can get a like one of those signature wins uh, at home. Like remember that remember that win that they had over uh, Kansas a couple of years ago, and Bill Self has that like crazy post game uh, presser afterwards saying his team's no good. You you hope for just for that one moment. Now TCU is putting together a whole entire resume and a whole entire season. This is really impressive. I mean, you mentioned Kendrick Williams. Kendrick Williams is one of my favorite players in college basketball. Absolutely love the guy. guy it, it does a lot of the same things that Jordan Caroline does with a smaller frame. Really, really love what he's doing. And, and you, know, you mentioned the big man, Brodzianski, is like a, one of the true seal accounts of college basketball. The lost art of the big man. The big man does everything inside and does his stuff efficiently. And they have um, 
multiple guards that can handle the ball, which you know is going to play well. I'm looking forward to when they play West Virginia. I think that they are doing everything the right way. And you know what's happening right now? People at Pitt, they're writing I miss you letters to Jamie Dixon right now. Exactly. That big win in Pittsburgh over Duquesne, notwithstanding, you know, I think (laughs) you you, you hear what I'm saying. You hear exactly what I'm saying. If you follow the Screen to Screener podcast, folks, you know that we love the Cinderella's. We love the small school. So my my, one thing I want to talk about here, Cinderella's in the making. We're not kissing Fanny because we felt this way the whole year. Texas Arlington Mavericks, Gus. They're being overshadowed. I think some of these small mid-majors being overshadowed by the major conferences. You know, Gonzaga's no longer a mid-major. Wichita right. State, the whole thing. Country needs to start paying attention to the Mavericks. They're the class of the Sun Belt. They're at, they're at six and one. Only blemish coming was a, a one-point loss in the Barclays Center against actually seven and one. I'm sorry, seven and one. Only lost one point uh, to the Bar the Barclays Center to Alabama. Kevin Hervey's putting up dominant numbers. Gus, 23 points per game, eight rebounds, two assists. Eric Neal is leading the nation, leading the the complete nation in assists. 12.7 points per game and 11.3 assists per game. This is the same team that won at St. Mary's last year, 65-51. Fantastic March sleeper. No, partner? Oh, without question. If you are a true Screen the Screener college basketball podcast listener, you remember when we took one of our summer road trips and we decided to try to find who was going to be the next VCU, who was going to be the next Dayton, who is going to be the next Butler going to back-to-back championship games as uh, uh, you know a, a quote-unquote mid-major. We had a big list. We listed Vermont. We listed, of course, we listed Nevada. Yeah, you know who else we listed? We listed Texas Arlington. That's right. We listed Kevin Herbie. We mentioned Neil. We said that they were going to be studs. And guess what? They're not disappointing. Anybody that has them on their schedule is worried. I mean, they bear Alabama barely, barely snuck that game out yep. against this team. They they can beat anybody anywhere, anytime. And I guarantee you that Herbie is going to find his way onto an NBA roster and Neil is going to continue to lead the lead, uh, lead the nation in assists. Both those guys are flat out studs. Can you name how many guys who are in the top five in assists in the country? Can you name right now? So we got Neil. I, I'm putting you on the spot here because I think you can get this. We got Neil number one. Who do you think is in the top five in assists in the country? Just let's see what you can do. I, I think you can do it. I wouldn't ask you if anything could. Uh, how about Luke Belmont? No, close. He's up there, but he's not top five. Is he in the top good. 10? Uh, he, yeah, he's 10. He's 10th. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Yep. 7.6. Okay. Very good. All right. Um, one of them, let's anno- see. one of them annoys me. Great. Oh, oh, uh, I, is, Devontae Graham has to be. He's Devontae Graham was two. He is now five because when you he score 35 five. points, you don't get a lot of assists. Yes. Devontae okay. Graham All right. Very two. good. How about, uh, how about Matt Farrell? Oh, good one. Matt Farrell is not up there. He is not there. That's a very good one, though. One of them is out in the West Coast. Oh, uh, how about Emmett Nar? Emmett Nar is number two. And the one that shocks me, one is John Elmore. Sure, from Marshall. John Elmore from Marshall, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. He's put up giant numbers this year. Yes, okay. And, assist, and the other one, Gus, which is fascinating, which is really the purpose of this, do you know that Trey Young of Oklahoma is third? With all the scoring and the shooting, he Are does. Are you serious? Yeah, he's, he's three, actually. He's actually three. Wow, good yeah. job out of Trey Young. I didn't know he was putting up that many assist numbers. I know he's shooting really well. 
wow, good. Well, that's that's an amazing assist list. Like all of those guys are studs. That's that's really amazing. Absolutely. Uh, other team, Cinderella in the making, Gus, that we have to pay attention to, we think, is St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure finally got preseason A-10 player of the year. Jalen Adams back. This team has traded water. They beat a Maryland team 63-61. They hung in there very tough with TCU as well. They won at Siena. They won at Buffalo. Mobley has been doing a tremendous job. Matt Mobley in the backcourt for them. And now they have Jalen Adams back. This is a team in the A-10 that's going to get very, very hot. I think they're 5-2 or two right now. They have some games they can win. They got at Canisius and Yale before they host the Vermont Catamounts. Oh, that's going to be a giant game. Uh, I, I think Screen the Screener podcast listeners, you have to t- tune into that game if at all possible. You got to find a way to view that game. And look, if we're talking best backcourts in the country, if you're going to talk Mobley and Adams, I, I think they are firmly. I think you can put them in the top seven in the whole entire country of best backcourts. I don't think there's any doubt in that. We love that Adams is coming back healthy. You know, both you and I championed Adams and, and put him on uh, uh, an All-American team. Uh, various other places did the same. Um, he put up giant numbers last year of over 20 points and over six assists uh, with great shooting percentages. So you just hope that he comes back healthy, finds his groove quickly, and that maybe he plays more of an ancillary role with Mobley now being the main guy since he was gone. So maybe this might actually work out perfectly. We'll We'll see, like... What kind of you know? What kind of mad scientisting that uh, can happen here for the Bonnies? Adams coming back, but man, I, I'm so looking forward to that St. Bonnies Vermont game, it's gonna be and great. that's going to be a huge game for both programs. Huge game, and the winner of that team gets a really nice win that can propel them into the NCAA tournament. It's a very important non-conference game for both teams. Really, should be if both of those teams get into the field, that could that the the winner of that game that that could be like a difference in a seed line. That oh. could be the difference between like a, a, a 12 and a 13 seed or a 13 and a 14 seed. Like that's a huge game. And Vermont has gone out and played everybody. They lost a tough one at Bucknell. They lost the opening one against Kentucky when they played fantastic. They are playing it. They are scheduling up. They are scheduling up. Uh, they want to win. They want to play. They want to get in the tournament. They're for real. He does. They do not care who they're playing right now. They're, they're, they're a great team to watch Catamounts. That's a fantastic game. Oh, uh, yeah, great. Uh, Becker always does an unbelievable job. And, and Zach, by the way, Zach Thomas and Bucknell is just like balling out. He He's one of the lead leader, nation's leaders in scoring. Like it, it, there's no shame. That matchup of like uh, of Zach Thomas and um, and uh, Anthony Lamb was fantastic in that matchup. I mean, that was a, such a tight game. Great game for both uh, programs. And that game is going to have very similar uh, qualities to the St. Bonnie's Vermont game, too. You know, if both those teams get into the uh, get into the field, like that game could pivot them into a bracket that they like or maybe a, a seed that might be more preferential. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Last one before we do the rundown of the games coming up next few days. Hashtag basketball narcolepsy, Gus. If you didn't stay up for this game like Gus and I do, we didn't get much sleep today. I had to have a couple uh, cups of coffee here before I saw the in-laws. Arizona 91, Gus, UNLV 88 in overtime at UNLV. It was the best big man battle this week. It was in Vegas. Seven foot one, 250 pounds. Both players are that. Both freshmen, tremendous centers. DeAndre Ayton in Arizona, Brandon McCoy of UNLV put on quite a show. McCoy had 31, uh, 33 rather. McCoy scored a game high, 33 points, grabbed 10 rebounds. Ayton, 28 points, 10 rebounds. Huge win for Arizona in overtime. They needed it. It was the second consecutive win for Arizona Gus after they lost those three in a row in Atlantis. Sean Miller's team is counting the seconds until Raleigh Alkins comes back. But talk a little bit. <laughs> For I, I, sure. I saw the end of this game. You saw most of the whole thing. Arizona UNLV, that was quite a game last night. Okay, so my, here are my three take, takeaways from this. One, McCoy just made himself a lot of money. Oh, yeah, 100%. Lots of money. He only has a couple of opportunities 
this season to get matched up against another stellar big man. That's NBA quality. And if you look at all NBA uh, draft boards for the 2018 draft, Aiton is among the top five in every draft board that you're going to look at. McCoy is not. But guess what? McCoy just got he just he just moved up a couple of notches, if not a very large amount, after this game against Aiton one on one. So really impressed with McCoy. Really impressed with UNLV. They are definitely ahead of schedule, and he is going to be a monster to deal with in the Mountain West. I don't know, like you know, besides like if they're going to bring another Bular in from somewhere. Like I don't know how they're going to match up with him. Uh, any team. He's just enormous. He's unbelievably athletic. He has actually great hands. And he's not a bad foul shooter. Really impressed with not McCoy. Yep. Seeing him for an extended period of time, um, you know, you see the highlights and everything. But watching him play a whole entire game, that was really impressive. Here's the second takeaway I had: Marvin Menzies is a cool character, man. He did not have. Any, it looked like he was coaching that game with no pressure. Like every time there was a crucial situation, his his outward appearance was so under control and i think his players really keyed off of that whereas on the other end it looked like you know sean miller kind of always looks like this he always looks like totally stressed out which is like That's why so he's, a great coach. <laughs> he's disheveled and the tie is off and the jacket is like to the side and so on and so on but like marvin menzies he he knows what he's doing they got the right coach in that program for sure at unlv and look arizona has another test coming up they have to play Texas A&M. Are you kidding me with this? Like, so it doesn't get any easier for Arizona, but Arizona does have another opportunity to make up for its shortcomings and its short steps in the Battle of Atlantis. So those are my takeaways from that game. I thought it was really awesome to see both those guys ball out, and, and it was nice to see big men, like, do their thing as opposed to, like, guards jacking threes. It was. It was very unique. It was something we hadn't seen this year. Very rarely you're going to have those two guys, guys of that size, of that nature. They're both going to be top 10 picks, no doubt about it. They're going to be tremendous, uh, just outstanding game. And last one, we'll give a shout out here. Solve the Rubik's Cube, Gus, for me. That is Seton Hall. They had a big win today over Louisville. You know, they, those four are so good. They've played so well. Big win at Louisville at home. Louisville won to bounce back. They did not. Let's just end it with this. Seton Hall, are they for real? Are they going to – the games they got VCU, they got St. Peter's, they got Rutgers, they got Wagner, they got Manhattan before they play Creighton. They're going to be undefeated going to that Creighton game on December 28th? Oh, yeah. I don't think they're going to lose before then. Wow. I think this Louisville game was the biggest hurdle that they had. Yeah, sure, VCU is going to be tough. Yeah, I, I, did you throw St. Peter's in there or St. Peter's in that, in that I lineup? I did. If they went out, Gus, they're going to be 12-1 and going into Creighton on December 28th. Yeah, you know what? That's going to happen. That's what's going to go down. I'm telling you right now, Desi Rodriguez has been questioned. Right, but he's been questioned for his for three things: his consistency, like what position does he play, and his motor. I think he's kind of answered all three of those questions in the very small sample size early this season. Number one, he's been one of their go-to guys. Number two, he doesn't need a position; he's just a really good basketball player. Everybody's like, is he an off guard? Is he a wing? Is he like a small ball four? No, just let him play. That's what you need to do. And guess what? If you looked at his motor today at at Louisville, like what else do you want from the guy? Like I I think he's playing absolutely fantastic. And all four of those, you know, your your Seton Hall four horsemen. Four horsemen, baby. Yeah, they. Oh man, I'm really impressed with this team. That was a great win on the road for for the Hall. You know, I'm in on. I'm in. I am in on Seton Hall. 
I, I really support Eric Fawcett's Seton Hall final four pick. Yeah, and Miles Powell's been tremendous as a sophomore. He's lead second in the team in scoring 14.7. Delgado's been okay. He hasn't even started going yet. I mean, this team is very, very dangerous. Yeah, I got to comment. I got to calm down my comments about Coach Willard. This team is doing very, very well and looks like they could be 12 and 1 going into the first game after Christmas. Hey, guys, so let's go through a couple games here. Just give me a thought or something. Yeah. You know, give me a pick, a thought, whatever you think. Next couple mm-hmm. of games that we can focus on here. So tomorrow night, Florida State uh, 6-0 and heads to play Florida in Gainesville. Florida 5-1. and Only loss, of course, is to Duke. Florida's favored by nine points, so I guess most people out there in Vegas think that Florida's going to roll. What do you think here? Florida, Florida State? It's a good question. Um, I think Florida State does have a couple of bigs inside that will give Florida problems, but I'm just going to reflect back upon the conversation we have to Eric Fawcett. And I think Florida is going to let Florida state's big, like get all their putback points. And I think Florida is a little bit more talented on the perimeter. I expect a big game from Hudson. I expect Chioza to control the game at the point. I think this is where Kulichev or Allen might actually go off from three when left alone, because they're going to put so much attention on Hudson. So I expect like, you know, 20 ish point game from uh, Kolovet, uh, Kolovev or, um, Allen, and then that's going to propel Florida over Florida State. Yeah, I, I think Florida's going to win as well. Florida State's good. They haven't played anybody like this talent, and Florida at home is going to be fired up. It's a rivalry game. I, I agree with you. I like Florida as well. Going to Tuesday, Villanova, Gonzaga, Jimmy V Classic, Madison Square Garden. My gut tells me that Villanova is going to win, but I'm rooting for Gonzaga. Does that make any sense? Makes total sense. That's kind of how I feel too, to be honest. I'm, I'm rooting for Gonzaga in this game totally, but I, I think – We've kind of ignored Villanova's greatness, like up until this part of the well. the season. Play very well. Like their balance is a little bit out of control. They have, uh, you know, six players averaging over like nine ish points a game. Uh, they have nobody that plays over thirty minutes a game, and they take great care of the ball. And when they take great care of the ball, they don't speed up the game. So they play the game at their pace. Does that pace present opportunities for like a hot shooting team from three or a team that has like a uniquely skilled player? Yes, absolutely. It does. But does it give Villanova like total control over what they want to do with their game plan? Yeah, 100 percent. Jay Wright's a great coach. So I'm intrigued to see what pace this game is played at because Gonzaga, I feel like can win at any pace. So I want to see if Gonzaga can be as efficient as Villanova is if the game is played at Villanova's pace. Bellman started to get hot, too, inside. 14.7 rebounds against Penn, 16.11 rebounds at St. Jones. That was St. Joe's dominant performance. Bridges and Brunson both averaging 17.9. Booth has been tremendous as well. I agree. I I think this is a great matchup. I'm curious to see how it's going to play out. It's It's going to be a close game. I do lean Villanova, but I will be rooting for Gonzaga. Without question. Virginia, West Virginia. Gus, if I could ask you, if I could tell you one stat from this game right now and you had to make a determination on who won, what stat would you want? Mm, Shots taken. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I would want shots taken. And and of course, turnovers as well. But yeah, shots taken. I think it's a key. Virginia's got to control the pace. This would be a massive win because I, I think West Virginia eventually wears down Virginia here. I don't think they're leaving here undefeated, but West Virginia... Seven and one, four and zero at home. That's going to be very, very tough. If I, yeah, if I was leaning one way here, I would, I would lean West Virginia. I think that Virginia, if the pace is played, even at like, let's take the, the, I don't know, let's take the median between the two teams. Yeah, I think even in the middle, I, I don't know if, I don't know if UVA has enough scoring, right, to even play that pace. 
Val- so I, if I'm going to lean one way, let's take give me the home team. Give me West Virginia. A couple quick ones here. Valley, the Sun Showcase, Texas A&M at Arizona. Arizona have a shot here. This is a tall order. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think the winner of this game is going to be the team or the coach that makes the first bold move. Mm-hmm. Both of these teams can play with two bigs. And we, we've referenced before on previous podcasts that playing with two bigs is a recipe for success in college basketball. In NBA basketball, it's not the recipe for success. But in college basketball, it can totally work. You can just go back and reflect upon the last championship game of UNC and Gonzaga. So Texas A&M can have two bigs. They can have Tyler Davis. They can have Bob Williams. Uh, Arizona can have two bigs. They can have eight and they can have Ristic. I'm intrigued to see which coach decides to go away from the two bigs first to gain an advantage that they see fit. So I think the winner of this game will be the winner, will be the coach that makes the first like chess move to give his team an advantage on the offensive or defensive end. Miller's going to have to do with smoke and mirrors here because he's got Aiton, he's got Trier, both are averaging over 20 points per game. And then the next one is Ristic at nine, who's been very, very spotty. Here come the Aggies, Gus. Hogue, Davis, Gilder, Wilson, all at least 10 points per game and higher. And oh, by the way, Robert Williams only played five games. He's averaging... Eight points and 10 rebounds. I think this is a tall order for Arizona. I think they're fired up. The fans will be great. But in the end, I think they are going to wear them down in in the second half for sure. This may be the one place where Arizona actually might have an advantage at point guard. I don't know if Texas A&M totally has their point guard situation figured out. I know they give Hogue a whole bunch of responsibility, like playing like the point forward position. Very Derek McKee-ish, if we're going to go really old school right there. And I know that Gilder's been doing a great job. He's a, he's a, he's, he is an off guard. He's a combo guard. He's doing a great job running the point and taking some of the point responsibilities. So I think that Parker Jackson Carwright is one of the guys that could cause some problems and maybe is a better ball, ha- the best ball handler on the floor. So I'm intrigued of that situation as well. I want to see uh, do turnovers become a problem for either team here. Partner, that's a mouthful. We got a ton of stuff coming up. We'll give you more later this week. We could have some more gu- uh, guests, Gus. You never know who's coming on, but uh, great job. We, here, we, we have a couple things in the hopper, right? The hopper, right. If yeah. You- Folks, review us, like us, tweet us, send us an email, screen the screen. And we love college basketball. You love us. We love you, folks. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Salancha. Grazie, Lazio, everybody.